Welcome to the Mission Mill Spouse Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we empower military spouses of all branches and all components to conquer adversity, foster confidence, and thrive in this military life. Now, here are your podcast hosts, your Mission Mill Spouse command team. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Mission Mill Spouse Podcast. I'm Kathleen Palmer, your Director of Content, and we're here to globally empower military spouses with resources and support. This is show number 1025 of the longest-running podcast of its kind, now in our 19th year of broadcasting. On today's episode, we all have the pleasure of speaking with author Sarah Sundin about her latest book, Embers in the London Sky. It's coming out this next month. Sarah is the best-selling author of When Twilight Breaks, Until Leaves Fall in Paris, The Sound of Light, and the popular World War II series, Sunrise at Normandy, among others. She's a Christie Award winner and a Carol Award winner, and her novels have received star reviews from Booklist, Library Journal, and Publishers Weekly, and have also appeared on Booklist's 101 Best Romance Novels of the Last 10 Years. She's joined us today to discuss her latest creative endeavor. And Sarah, we're so excited. Welcome to the Mission Mill Spouse podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm super, I'm super ready to jump in because I love the genre of World War II. Um, but I always start off with the asking writers how they became a writer. Was this a lifelong passion or did you start out in another career? Um, I always say I took the traditional path to writing by majoring in chemistry. <laughs> and then becoming becoming a pharmacist. That's really important for all writers. <laughs> yeah, no, obviously um, that wasn't my original plan. I mean, I was a little girl who loved to read, and all little girls who love to read imagine themselves writing at some point. And um, I quickly categorized it with becoming a ballerina, which I also wanted to do, but realized it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so I also discovered a love of science and went into that and loved it. And I had a career in pharmacy and I loved it very much. And then one morning I had an idea for a novel and this had never happened to me before. Never. It actually happened in a dream of all things. And I had to write it. And I felt so disoriented. I was I was um, a young mom at the time, and I was spent the day um, washing diapers and running the carpool. And this story <laughs> idea would not leave me alone. And so I started writing it. I grabbed my kids' um, lined notebook paper and a number two pencil, and I wow. <laughs> just started writing it down. I had no idea what I was doing, but since then I haven't been able to stop writing. I just keep getting ideas, and I just keep writing. And um, it was very clear that I needed to take this change in career path. And um, I straddled the fence for a long time. I kept up my pharmacy career. Um, when my kids were born, I started working one day a week as a pharmacist in a hospital. So I just kind of kept that up for a long time. And um, when my youngest, when my daughter graduated from college, I looked at my husband and said, Wait, do we need the money anymore? And he said, no. I said that I'm quitting. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, though. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, yeah, it was kind of the best of both worlds because I had one day a week as a pharmacist for a very long time. And then the, the writing filled in the cracks as the kids grew up. That's great. And you probably do you ever have like really great ideas like why you're working as a pharmacist, like where you're doing oh, yeah. 13 other things that I always envision writers writing things down on whatever's handy, you know, when they mm-hmm. get ideas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I always kept scratch paper with me because a hospital is a dramatic 
place. <laughs> yes, it there is. are heartbreaking stories and funny stories, and there are dramatic things that happen, and you hear stories, and that, of course, feeds the imagination. So uh, none of those ended up directly, but there were bits and pieces, and the emotion of the day I walked out in the hallway outside the pharmacy, our pharmacy was directly across the the hall from the ER, and the man, there was a man on the floor howling, and his little son had just died, and it was because he had backed over him by this car. Oh, my and God. Oh. I know. It was just like heart. I mean, you just talk about ripping your heart out, about yeah. seeing this man's grief and guilt combined. It was just it was heart-wrenching, but I can take that sense of emotion and how that impacted me, and I can grab onto that feeling and use that in my characters. Mm-hmm. No, it's, I mean, and absolutely, because that's really, so much life is happening in the hospital, mm-hmm. like all ranges, so yeah. Wow. What a great, you, actually, it's one of the most unique starts I've heard. And I've been <laughs> a lot of writers that I, I haven't had a pharmacist before. So there you go. Yeah. Well, there's one more. K- Katie Cushman is a, is a pharmacist and, a, and a, a, a published author too. So we've met at conferences and oh, wow. we, we have the same running joke about taking the path from pharmacy to writing. So <laughs> it's definitely not, a, it's not one you hear of often. Um, no, no. <laughs> what do you know about the ballerina part? I'm just going to throw this in there real quick, but um, I'm sure you know the the book, The Long March Home. Yes. It's, uh, Marcus Brotherton and Tosca Lee. It's, I think it was on the yes. now, but I interviewed oh, yeah. both of them and she laughed because I think she, that's what she wanted to do was be a ballerina. And her dad said, if I pay you to write, will you stop being a ballerina? And oh, it was how so funny. Fun. Yes, but that was her broken road to writing. So, oh my goodness. Yeah, I just wasn't, I loved it, but I wasn't good enough at it. So, um, and then also just watching, you know, look, looking at the girls in my class who are the best and they weren't going to become professional ballerinas. And my parents are very practical and kind of showed me that, like, look how many ballerinas there are in the world. Look how many little girls take ballet. Why don't you get a real job? <laughs> Probably good as advice. Hit, hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But especially as I hit high school and realized, though, I loved it. I didn't have that passion for it. So um, you really have to just live it. I mean, ballet has to be your all-consuming passion if you want to make it. And it wasn't mine. I had many other things that I loved. And um, fortunately, I had wise parents who um, didn't tell me I was going to be a famous ballerina. (laughs) Nope, that's right. They kept it real for you. Um, Yes, but they let me enjoy it. They let me um, cultivate that love of, of movement and of music and great exercise and all that. So they let me enjoy it, but not um, latch on to it as, um, yeah, yeah, my source to fame and fortune. <laughs> well, I'm very glad you went down your path. Um, and we're going to move into talking about why um, we reached out to you about your latest novel. So could you provide maybe just a brief summary? I'm sure you've done this before um, of your novel, Embers in the London Sky. Yes, it's in 1940. And Aleda van der Zee Martens is a Dutch woman, and she flees to England when the Nazis invade the Netherlands. And in the process, she's separated from her three-year-old son, Theo. And Theo is thrust by her cruel husband into the car of a family who's also going to England. But he um, doesn't tell her the name or where they're going. And um, then he's promptly killed. (laughs) So she goes to England looking for her son. All she knows is that he is probably in England. 
and she has his name and she knows what he looks like and that's all she has to go on. And she is a Dutch refugee who flees to um, England when the Nazis invade the Netherlands. And in the process, she's separated from her young son, her three-year-old son, Theo. And so when she arrives in England, she all she knows is that Theo was in the car of a family bound for England. She doesn't know their name and she doesn't know their address. And so she is desperately looking for her son. She enlists the help of BBC radio correspondent Hugh Collingwood, thinking that he can broadcast about it. Um, he can't for a variety of reasons, but they strike up a friendship. And um, meanwhile, the bombs start falling on London and Hugh is reporting on the Blitz and as he's helping a latest search for Theo. And meanwhile, murder mysteries, um, murders start popping up and Hugh and Aleda try to find out who the murderer might be before it's too late. Okay, that sounds super action packed. And um, and I usually try to read the books when I when I interview the authors. And this was a short one for me, so I wasn't able to. But I have you in my Amazon cart. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, the, the whole thing that the fact that you are this is like your genre. Am I correct? This yeah. is the time frame that you like to write in. Yes, so, I write World War II fiction. Do you overlap some of your characters from one novel to the next? Um, in the past, I've written a lot of series. Uh -huh. um, this one is a standalone novel. My last three novels were standalone novels, okay. too. There is a little bit of overlap the in the current series of, well, it's not a series, but Embers in the London Sky is the first. And the next two books will follow Aleda's cousins, who are... Um, also Dutch, who also come to the United Kingdom for a variety of reasons. But whether or not I haven't, there may be some overlap where they meet up, but there's stories that don't allow them to meet up in many ways. So there's a little connection there. Well, the characters sound amazing. That's why I asked that. Um, so yeah. when we talk about the the events that were taking place in London from 1940, 1941, and there were so many uh, that were happening, how much research do you have to do for the novels? I know you you are a buff. I can tell that the history buff, but, oh, yeah. but even for all your books, I mean, what's your research process like? Well, in general, I, I, when I talk to um, budding historical novelists, I always say start broad and then follow the story to go narrow. So when I first started writing, I was just reading gen general books about World War II, just to buff up on what I used to know from high school. And, um, but in general, when I start a new novel, I always start broad again. So for Embers in the, in the London Sky, I had written other books set in England, but usually from the perspective of Americans. I had American pilots and an American army ranger in England for a variety of reasons. But this was really the first time I'd, this was the first time I'd covered the London Blitz. Okay, Sarah. So when you talk about uh, your book and the events that were taking place in London from 1940 to 1941, how much research uh, did you have to do for this novel or what is your research process for most of your novels? In general, I always say I start general and work my way down to specific following the story itself. I've, because this is my ooh, 16th novel set in World War II. I don't need to do the broad, you know, what was going on in World War II research at this point. But this is my first book that was really set during um, in England at that time in the war. I'd set them in England before, but usually perspective of Americans. I had American pilots and an American army ranger, but this was, this is British, um, a British man and a Dutch refugee in London during the Blitz. So it was a different time frame. So I really read a lot about the Blitz, about the situation in England. I read about um, the invasion of the Netherlands because that affected Aleda. 
I read a lot about the BBC because of Hughes' job, and I um, researched the evacuation of children to the countryside because Alayda gets involved with that, trying to find her son. And um, also, uh, goodness, there was just <laughs> there's always something research. And, yeah, there's a there's a lot, but it's fun. I really enjoy it, and it's fascinating. Um, each time I start a novel, I tell myself, "Oh, this will be easier because I've done so many books." And but I've always find new angles. So yeah. each time it's different. Well, there are so many perspectives there, and you know, our our audience is mainly military spouses, and we have such a big contingency in Germany and in England yeah. as well, too. So I know that mm-hmm. as military spouses, we really enjoy historical novels, and a lot of our book clubs center around historical novels because you know we are sometimes in the places they're writing about. So yeah, that is really and I cool. find I I get a lot of um, messages from military spouses. And I think it's because reading about World War II, they feel like we get it. We get what they're going through, um, you know, with spouses in danger. Um, you know, the times have changed, but the, the basic situation hasn't, where you send your loved one away and you worry about them. Okay. So I think they I think they are drawn to those stories because there's a certain camaraderie there. Well, and I think there's a little more romance with World War II and and the way we mm-hmm. sent people off and brought them back, as opposed to, you know, this last yes. year war that you know really got really into the minutia and it was it wasn't the same. Um, but yeah, I, I agree, and 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 I remember going to see some of the places that you write about. Um, you know, in person when you see like I've been in Churchill's war rooms, you know, that look exactly mm-hmm. like he just left. That's what they look like still. You know, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's oh, um, a great place. It is. It's a great. It's a great experience. So, um, okay. So this, we're going to move into your main character. Aleda is her name. Uh, Aleda Vander Van Martins, and she yeah. fled from the Netherlands. And she not only lost her home, but okay, this part kills me. Her child was taken from. I know. Her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so, what's some background on on leading up to that traumatic situation? Can you give that out a little bit? Oh yeah. Um, it's actually the first chapter, so it's um. It's right there. So this was this whole story was inspired when I was doing research for my novel Until Leaves Fall in Paris. And I was reading about the invasion of France and all these there were over a million people on the road fleeing from the Nazis. And there were families who were on foot and they would see cars pass them. And they were so desperate for their children's lives that they would thrust their car children into the cars of complete strangers, thinking their child would have a better chance to live um, in car in a car rather than on foot. Okay. Um, but then when things settled down and they started to go home, they couldn't find their children. And the newspapers in France were filled with all these classified ads of parents looking for their children. As a mom, that just wrecked me. And I wanted to use that in a story because of that wrecking feeling. Um, so I gave Aleda a, an abusive husband and um, Sebastian is is not a nice man. And he is ashamed of his son because he has a hand deficiency. And so when they're on the road, he actually sees his opportunity to get rid of this kid that he doesn't like and he's ashamed of. So when Aleda is sleeping, he thrusts his son into the car of complete strangers who are bound for England. So that was how I could set up the story and have that, that intense motion and really play with that. um, Like, what do you do when you can't find your child? And 
what yeah yeah it was it was it was really hard it was hard hard to write and um every parent's nightmare of you know you know that moment where you're at the grocery store and you turn around and your child isn't there and you know that just cavern that opens up in your chest and you know were they abducted or are they just hiding behind the, you know the canned peas and you're trying to figure that out and so we've all I think even the the most vigilant parents have had that moment where they can't find their child for a second. And um, so, yeah. and then wondering, you know, how much of our identity is bound up with being mothers? Yeah. And also, when do we act in our interests and when are we acting in the child's interests? So I was really able to play with those those thoughts. Yeah, and it's counterintuitive today. So we spend so much time protecting mm-hmm. our kids from strangers. And then here they are, forced to give their kids to strangers to save them you know mm-hmm. it's the same it's the same feeling you want to save your children but it's just done differently so yeah that that's very interesting um yeah. and definitely heart-wrenching so when she when a later arrives in london then she takes a job with the ministry of health which uh that's responsible for evacuating children to the countryside so she's mm-hmm. smart because then she uses her role i guess to help look for her son is that what she does yes okay yeah and it's funny, I never put this connection together, but it's exactly what the the London mothers were being told to do. Give us your children. We're going to put them in homes of complete strangers so they'll be away from the bombs. And so they were doing the same thing of putting their children possibly at risk, but to save them. Yeah. So I, I hadn't seen that connection before. Um, so, yeah. So So she is... In, in her role at, in the Ministry of Health, she goes to the countryside and she monitors the children. She monitors the billeting officers and the foster families um, to keep up on how the kids are doing. But her secret hope is that she will find somebody who has seen her son. Yeah, well, of course, she must be looking looking for that every minute. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so her husband, not so good. But I hear I see is when we move oh, into the section. Yeah. That the yeah. BBC radio correspondent, Hugh Collingwood, is caught in the middle of the London Blitz. And so what part does he play in does he hope to play in the war? And is he kind of do they cross paths, I guess? Yes. So first of all, um, a latest horrible husband is killed the very next day. So we don't have to worry yes. about him. And we worry about <laughs> <laughs> this is a clean story, you know. <laughs> she, she, pardon me. <laughs> Your sound technician can figure that out. You sure can. She's awesome. Okay, keep going, Sarah. You're good. All right. Okay, so um, so she is, Aleda is free to love again, but um, she meets um, Hugh Collingwood as a BBC correspondent. He's reporting on, she volunteers with the air raid protection, and he reports on that, and she sees an opportunity, and she asks him if she he can report on Teo. Um, BBC policy was not to report on missing persons at the time, so he could not broadcast that. But he is very drawn to her and her plight. And so he vows to help her. And he being more connected, being an Englishman, he's very well connected. And he's upper class, too. So, you know, his family knows everybody. And so he vows that he's going to try to help her. But at the same time, he's reporting on. So. Um, Hugh helps her um, find her, looking for her child. And meanwhile, he's reporting on the Blitz and walking that balance wire between telling the truth and 
avoiding censorship and avoiding sending information directly to the enemy because the radio was the radio waves could be heard in Germany. So anything he reported on the air, he was telling directly to Hitler. So they had to be careful, but he also wants to tell the truth. So really exploring some themes of freedom of the press and truth and censorship and discernment and morale. It was fun, fun things to explore. And he has a lot of reporter friends and they like to debate these things. Oh, that's, and that's a great way, uh, you know, for the character to discuss the ideas of that time too. So that's, that's amazing. Oh my gosh. I, I almost wish this book had come sooner, but now I'm even more excited to read it. Um, we're going to take a quick break listeners. So just <laughs> bear with us. we got a few commercials. We're going to pop in here and uh, we'll be back in just a second. So stay tuned with Sarah Slinden and all the things she's going to tell us about writing and her novel. We'll be right back. Here at Mission Mill Spouse, military spouses are the priority. With nearly 3,000 blog posts and over 1,000 podcast episodes in our archives, we have the resources and support to empower your military spouse journey, no matter your stage, season, or duty station. To support our mission and other military spouses like you, follow us across all social media platforms at Mission Mill Spouse, subscribe to our newsletter, The Sit Rep, or consider making a tax-deductible donation. We are also all volunteer-powered, so you're invited to join our band of bloggers or our command team. Email hello at missionmillspouse.org for more information. Remember, we've been there. You aren't alone. We've got your six. Welcome back, listeners. We're continuing on with author Sarah Sundin, and we're talking about her latest novel, Embers in the London Sky, which can be purchased at your local bookstore or through Baker Bookhouse, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, ChristianBook.com, and other online vendors. All right, Sarah, we're back and we're, we're plugging on here. So we've talked a lot about the plot and some of the characters, but how did you get interested in this genre of World War II? Um, did you have like family members that were in World War II or just something you were always fascinated in? I had family and I was always fascinated by it, but mostly it was family. My great, uh, my grandfather was a pharmacist mate in the, in the Navy. That was um, what they used to call the medics, the hospital corpsman. And he was, he served in a, a, a hospital, learned to later how unusual that was. Most of the servicemen came home and the way they coped with what they seen was they did not talk. My grandfather coped by talking and he was a great storyteller. And his brother was also a storyteller, and which is good because he had an amazing story. He was a B-17 bomber pilot and he flew into Pearl Harbor during the attack. He was a navigator on a wow. flight of 12 B-17s that were coming into Pearl Harbor. And they were getting shot at by everybody, by the Japanese, by the Navy, by anybody with a pistol. Uh -huh. And um, quite experienced. And then he went on, flew a tour from Australia early in the war, came back to the United States, did some more training, went to England and flew with the 8th Air Force and ended up on Eisenhower's staff with, so he had quite oh a career. Gosh, wow, that is quite a career. Yeah, really quite a career. So I'd grown up hearing these stories, and then my dad has always been very interested in World War II. He was always watching, you know, um, oh, Victory at Sea and things like that. So um, I grew up with that always in the background. So when I started writing and I had the idea for my first historical fiction, it just seemed to be a good fit. I was also very naive and told myself because I got an A in history in high school <laughs> that it would be super easy. 
Mm. I'm so glad I didn't know how much research I'd have to do because I would have stopped. And because I got into it, the story drove the research and then I found I love the research. And then the research drives further stories. So I'm glad I was naive. <laughs> no, absolutely. And did you have any um, any books about World War II that like really catch your interest? Maybe not so much like maybe more fiction type books. Like I remember, I love number of the stars when I was in school and, uh-huh. you know, just so many, there's so many great books about the, about that era. Is there anything that you'd recommend that you have read? Oh, I, for a children's book. I remember when it was a little scholastic book. I don't even know if it's available anymore. It was called Marta and the Nazis. Yes, and it, a it is girl. available. Yeah. Oh, I love that book. And there was this little girl and she's um, fleeing from Germany. I think she was American. American actually, or yeah. she had an American cousin, yes, and she's yeah, yeah. And what stuck to me was how they they sneaked out the family diamonds by putting them in her doll's yep. bottle and filled it with water. And I just thought that was so clever. And I was always telling myself if I ever need to sneak out diamonds, that's what yeah. I'm going to do. <laughs> it's a great idea. Uh, it, yeah. reminds, it reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you saw the show on Netflix. I actually haven't read the book. It's called All the Light You Cannot See. Um, I've, it's about the blind yeah, girl. I haven't read it yet, but it, yeah, it's like, yeah. it's almost like, I'm embarrassed to say I haven't read it because it's so good. Everybody's talked about it and I really, really want to read it. Well, I'm further embarrassed that it's in a stack on my nightstand and I, I couldn't wait. And I watched the Netflix series uh, before I read the book. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Me. but it was really well done. And he, there was also some smuggling of gemstones. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I, I, you know, I can't imagine. Do you have time to read? Do you still read a lot? Or are you so busy writing? Um, yes and yes. So I, uh, obviously the writing takes up a lot of time. I read a lot of my non fiction research, but I'm also reading a lot um, just for my own enjoyment. And because I am published, I get a lot of books to read for endorsement or for influencing. So um, I love historical fiction, but I love other genres too. And it's fun to read broadly. Yes, I agree with that too. And sometimes I'll I'll have a nonfiction book and a fiction book on my nightstand and I'll go back Mm -hmm. and drives my husband crazy. Yeah. He only reads military fiction and nonfiction. So whatever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, okay, so how can our readers connect with you if they want to send you a question or maybe get some more information? Yes, um, my website is sarahsunden.com and I'm on all the social media, except a few. Now it's growing so much, but I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter. I just joined threads. So yeah, um, look for me. You can find me. <laughs> okay, good. And you spell her name for people. Yeah, I was going to tell the readers you spell Sarah, S A. R-A-H and S-U-N-D-I-N. Um, That's correct. Yeah. So that actually is going to be in our show notes. So no panic as usual. You know, I'll always put them at the bottom once the podcast airs. So just be aware of that. Okay, Sarah, last question. We made it through our technical difficulties and everything, um, but this lightning round is just for fun. Um, so are you a beach or mountain vacation person? Mountains. Mountains. Okay. Uh, writing with background noise or com- writing with complete silence? Silence preferred, but I got my start writing on the sidelines of the soccer field, the dentist office, wherever I can get going. <laughs> so when I have to, I can write anywhere. Well, that's, a, that's a great trait. Okay. Are you a sweet snack or a savory snack? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm Depending on my food. Yeah, I, I, definitely, I definitely have a sweet tooth though. That's my main failing. Yeah, mine too. I hear you. Okay, movie theater or home on the couch for movie watching? Um, my husband's cheap, so it's generally yeah. 
at home on the couch. I do like to go out to the theater, though. I do, too. And you're thinking about seeing it on the big screen. Yes. Uh, And my last question is because I always interview military people usually. So I said Army or Navy, you may not have an answer on that. Oh, oh, I do. My okay. my son was in the Navy. My youngest son was in the Navy for four years. So go Navy. And go my Navy. oldest, <laughs> my oldest son, who's um, baby, I'm babysitting right now, is um, a civilian engineer who works for the Navy at a uh-huh. surface warfare center. So, and he can't wow. tell me what he does because he's yeah. important. <laughs> well, you're Navy all the way then. So we are, uh, we, we used to be the Army Wife Network. So it always, we did look for Army answers, but now we have expanded to military. Ah, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So we'd like them all now. Yeah. <laughs> but my, my, my great uncle, it was in the Army Air Forces at the time. So he was technically Army. That was before U.S. Air Force was his own separate branch. That's right. Yeah. When they had the Air Force. So, yeah. I'm not opposed to the Army at all. Wow. Well, you heard it here. Now you can you can go either direction. So that's great. I can. I can. Yes. Oh, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing not just your work and your insights and your empowering resources with us this week, but also the fact that you are putting something out there that um, I think military spouses will enjoy knowing after hearing this, too, just having that connection. Um, and if you want to connect with Sarah, you can find all her things online um, via email at her website. And it's sarahsunden.com backslash contact. Um, and then you can also find her on Instagram. Same thing, instagram.com backslash author or facebook.com author. And again, all this will be in the show notes. So you don't have to panic. You can just go down there and click straight from our website. All right. As we wrap up, we thank you so much for joining us, Sarah, and making sure to find us online. We also want to thank Sarah for everything she's done for the community. So, Sarah, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. So until next time, remember, you are not alone. We got your six here at Mission Mill Spouse, and this is our command team signing off. Thank you for tuning in to the Mission Mill Spouse podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with your tribe and leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our podcast on the podcast app of your choice, including Apple, Google Play, and Spotify. Join us on our mission by making a tax-deductible donation on our website, missionmillspouse.org. Military spouses around the world, thank you for your support. Mission Mill Spouse, empowering military spouses since 2005.